Grace, mercy, and peace be yours in abundance from God our Father and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And happy Thanksgiving. Our sermon title tonight is Three Pieces of Thankful Pie. You know, unlike our usual gatherings, we come into God's house this evening, not at the direction of our liturgical church calendar, even as that church year calendar comes to a close this week, but really, our gathering tonight is at the behest of our civil government. None other than our very first president of these United States, George Washington himself, way back in 1789, recommended and assigned Thursday, November 26, to, quote, be devoted to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all that was, that is, and that ever shall be, unquote. This is the God of our founding documents, folks, the God who created all men equal and who endowed them with certain unalienable rights. It's nice to be reminded of this kind of acknowledgement coming from the secular state, no less. And yet people today have such a problem with anything approaching that kind of language these two and a half centuries later in America. I'll quote from another president, Lincoln, a little later on. But first, let me tell you where we're going with all this tonight, since it is technically a different kind of holiday that we are celebrating. I thought I'd approach the sermon just a little differently, that is, topically. Tonight, I'd like to serve you up three heaping slices of this topic's pie. What topic? Thanksgiving, of course. And tonight's three points, or slices of pie, first piece. Thanksgiving is a first article holiday. Secondly, a Christian celebration only enhances and deepens our Thanksgiving celebration, taking it into the domain of the second article of the Apostles' Creed. And thirdly, any proper acknowledgement of God should acknowledge as well the three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. As you guessed it, we go deeper still into the Creed's third article to round out a more robust and fully developed Christian appreciation of this secularly summoned holiday that we call Thanksgiving. So those are the three slices of pie you'll get from me tonight, and I hope you're not too full already. At least uh, we're not coming straight into God's house tonight from a Wednesday soup supper. That's next week already as we officially start off the new church here with Advent season this Sunday. So, point one. What do we mean by Thanksgiving being a first article holiday? Well, I think it's instructive here to quote that eminent theologian and holiday crooner, Bing Crosby. In a rare Thanksgiving pop song, I've got plenty to be thankful for from Irving Berlin's classic Holiday Inn musical. Der Bingle, as my dad used to call him, seems to have taken his cues right from tonight's Peace Lutheran Bulletin cover, which says, Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Indeed, Bing starts singing out a whole list of things for which he's thankful in that song, including, quote, eyes to see with, 
ears to hear with, arms to hug with, and lips to kiss with someone to adore. Isn't that cute? But interestingly, these words of gratitude start to sound a bit like our affirmation of faith on page 10 of our bulletin, taken from Luther's small catechism. I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes to see with, ears to hear with, and all my members, including my lips, and my reason and all my senses, which we tend to lose when it comes to romance, and God still takes care of all of them. This is Luther's explanation to the first article of the Apostles' Creed. And just in case you're not sure or if you've forgotten, the first article is simply, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's it. The first article then envisions God as the creator and the sustainer of everything that has been made and of all the amazing capabilities with which he has endowed his innumerable living creatures. It's all the teeming diversity of narwhals and seahorses that swim about in all the earth's arteries of water. And then the centipedes and wombats that crawl about on the earth's vastly varied terrains. And it's all the stars in the sky, as well as those stars in Adam's eyes when he first lays eyes on Eve's personage. The first article encompasses the whole blast of creation there in Genesis 1 and 2. But it stops short of Genesis 3, the fall, and God's ensuing plan of redemption for mankind. That's important to distinguish. The first article is all about God's creative masterpiece before man takes a pickaxe to it in his satanic revolt. So when we talk about something being connected with the first article of the creed, we are generally thinking about Genesis 1.31 in that pristine state, quote, God saw everything that he had made and it was very good, unquote. The first article optimist tends to emphasize the beauty of nature with its purple mountain majesties. And when it comes to human beings, it touts the rather rosy-tinted fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man. It's not hard to see how Thanksgiving, more often than not, fits nicely into this first article scheme. What with songs like, For the Beauty of the Earth, and lyrics like we sang earlier tonight, The Deserts Bloom and Spring, and God Makes the Clouds, the Clouds Rain Goodness, for which we indeed give our heartfelt thanks today. Uh, Let's pray that those rain clouds take care of all the California fires for good this year. God certainly does crown the year with blessing, with plenty, and with peace. All that said, however, even our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, who in the fall of 1863 issued his now famous Thanksgiving proclamation, even he saw the need to press the matter deeper than just the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies, with which he starts out his proclamation to set aside this day of thanksgiving and praise. Lincoln quickly turns from such optimistic, thankful tones 
to more troubling and penitential tones in his address. Says Lincoln, all these blessings are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. President Lincoln actually mentions mercy for our sins. This appeal to penitence over sins changes the key from major to minor, from first article praises to second article intervention by our creator. We need rescue and restoration. If we are to stay in touch with the harsh reality of any age, we need a deeper dimension to our giving thanks. Why this shift in Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation from rosy optimism to mournful realism? Simple. It's 1863, and America is in the midst of arguably the bloodiest war in its history, the Civil War. The war between brothers, as it is sometimes called, would rage on into the spring of 1985. The body-strewn battlefield is far removed from the pristine Eden that God approved in Genesis 1 and 2, isn't it? We've moved on now to Genesis 3 and 4, where Cain kills Abel and asks God evasively, Am I my brother's keeper? So the simple, and some would say naive, fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man credo doesn't cut it. It doesn't tell the whole story of slavery to sin. And deeper into Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation, we read this sometimes forgotten slice. I recommend to the American people that while offering up thanks for blessings, that they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience commend to God's tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged. And let us fervently implore the interposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union, unquote. This interposition of the almighty hand, which Lincoln prays for, is exactly what the second article of the Apostles' Creed is describing when it focuses on the second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. This, as Mary sang in her Magnificat, is God's mercy, extending to all those who fear him from generation to generation. These acts of Christ are the mighty deeds deeds that God performed with an outstretched arm. This interposition of the Almighty Hand required an incarnation of the Divine Son. And now, in accordance with the second article of the Creed, the resurrected 
ascended Lord Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty where he makes intercession for all us saints going through this great tribulation we call life on earth. It's not just Americans wandering listless on the smoke-filled battlefields. Two world wars later, and with no end to violent skirmishes in sight, we're left asking, has the human race learned its lessons yet? There is still plenty of perversive perverseness and disobedience to go around the world twice over. And this leads us to our third and final slice of the Thanksgiving pie tonight, the third article of the creed. This is an essential piece of the pie, so I hope you still have room for it. And it's sweet and delicious too, I might add. Okay, but why would we need a third helping when everyone knows at Thanksgiving time just having seconds is sufficient? Anything more is gluttony. Well, first of all, we always want to round out the Holy Trinity with the shy third member of the Godhead, as the Holy Spirit is sometimes affectionately referred to. But this final slice really ties the whole thing together. Indeed, if it weren't for the Holy Spirit's work, we would not believe the first two articles of the Creed. We've already seen, actually, how the Holy Spirit ties in with the second article when we confessed concerning the Son, how he came to earth. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And if you go back to Genesis 1, you'll see also how the Holy Spirit ties in this first article as well. Because right there, in just the second verse of the whole Bible, Genesis 1-2, it says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the Nicene Creed, the Holy Spirit is called the giver of life. God formed man of the dust of the earth, but then it says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The breath, the Hebrew word ruach, also translated spirit, spirit of life. I hasten to add here too that this same Holy Spirit hovered over your baptismal waters too, when your new life in Christ was conceived. The Spirit and the Word work together in this new creation, you. And even now, the Holy Spirit still considers you a work in progress as he continues to conform you into the image of Christ in ever-increasing glory. Luther, in his explanation to the third article, points up the priority of this third article, even though it happens last. Real quick, what's the third article? I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's the short answer. What I mean by this last article taking priority is that in real life, the third article of the creed actually happens first in your experience and mine. We were not created out of the dust of the earth. At least I don't think anybody here came about exactly like Adam. We have belly buttons. We came from our mother's womb. And we came into this world sinful from birth. Indeed, David even confesses in Psalm 51 that in sin did my mother conceive me. Proverbs 22:15 says, A youngster's heart is filled with rebellion, but discipline will drive it out from him. 
So with such a natural bent away from our creator's rule and toward our own independence and pursuit of happiness, however we envision that, Luther confesses in his explanation to the third article, what does this mean? I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified me, and kept me in the true faith. You see, there in the first article, Luther points out, it was God who gave me my reason and all my senses, but sin has dulled my senses, corrupted my reason, such that left to my own, I too would have been calling for the crucifixion of the incarnate Son of God, along with the rest of the spiritually blinded crowd. And apart from the Holy Spirit enlightening me, my foolish heart would declare there is no God. Thanksgiving? Well, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's it. Game over. But thanks be to our God and Father through Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit, in God's mercy, has intervened in my life and in yours. And he has given us a robust faith that sustains us both in blessing and in hardship, in abundance and in need, even as St. Paul learned was the secret of being content. For, as the creed summarizes so well for us, we not only praise and acknowledge the God who made us to walk this green and sometimes thorny earth, first article, But we know this same triune God who also saves us from our sins, second article, and who keeps us in the true saving faith, third article, till his kingdom comes. And there, at his heavenly banquet table, he will have for you the biggest, most generous piece of the pie that you could ever imagine. There, even as President Lincoln predicted, perhaps unwittingly, in his Thanksgiving proclamation of 1863, Almighty God will restore his divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. Now that's something to be thankful for. Three times over. Amen. And now may that peace of God that transcends all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.